I told our community group last night, I haven't had a kid cry on me during dedication yet. The street continues. I realized after that I should have never said that out loud, but Claire was so great this morning. Hey, so we're going to move on and continue in our study of the Beatitudes. We're going to combine a few together, and if you'll bear with me, you're going to, hear, you're going to be tempted to say, but Mike, you forgot, blessed are the merciful and blessed are the pure in heart. Well, no, I didn't forget. I know that my days are numbered. And so I'm, I'm trying to move us in a direction that launches us forward as we follow him. And as you'll see, as we look at the beatitude we're going to focus on today, you'll see how the pieces fit together. Because when we get to verse 9 of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus makes a very simple and profound statement that I believe is key to how we start 2018. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So here's how I want to start today. I want to be real simple, and I want to be real honest, and hopefully you'll be real transparent with yourselves and with those around you as you discuss this later on. But as 2018 has started for you, what would be the overarching emotion of the year? Is it one of worry and concern? Oh my goodness, I don't know what's coming next. Is it one of pain and anguish of how could, Lord, you let these things happen? Is it one of celebration of, look at me, I'm awesome. And you are awesome. You're children of the Most High God. That's pretty amazing. Is it one of quiet confidence in God? I know you got something, but I'm really confused as what's coming. Or... Is it one of peace that says, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. And not only that, but I know I'm bringing others with me into a life of peace. I don't know where you find yourselves as we are eight day, seven days into 2018. But I want to invite you to consider well the words of Jesus and say no matter your circumstance, just as we considered not long ago that joy is not circumstantial, neither is peace. You can always live in peace. Our world can know true peace. But it might mean something different than what the world tries to define peace as. And so we're going to look at that a little bit. And the first thing we need to understand is the very truth of the matter. As you go into the Old Testament, there are numerous prophecies given that a Messiah is coming, a Messiah will be given, uh, and his name will be called Mighty Counselor, Wonderful Savior, and Prince of Peace. Interesting that we know Jesus to be that Messiah because he is the Prince of Peace. Well, as we read into John 1, that he also is the author of all these things. He's the creator. He held creation. Is it me? Am I moving around too much? But as Jesus holds all these things in his hands, we begin to understand that this prince of peace is the source of peace. What do I mean by that? Well, as you've heard me say time and again, I love to hike. 
And I love to climb up mountains. It's one of my favorite things of Hong Kong that nobody knows about is there are mountains everywhere and full of trails that are begging to be run up and down. And it's a blast. And in my house, if you've ever visited, depending on how you feel about certain animals, you'll meet a wonderful family member named Thor. Thor is our big black dog. And Thor has this white... We call it the lightning bolt underneath his chest. And he is just the best dog. And so when I decide to go on my run in the mountains, Thor will usually come with me. Uh, Not only because I like having him around, but usually if the snakes are going to come, they're going to go after him first. (laughs) And I'm willing to make that sacrifice. (laughs) But you see, I love that time in the hills. I've talked about that before. But I took Thor up, I believe it was on my uh, day off on Friday, and I just went for a run. It takes me about an hour to do my loop. Uh, It's up a hill, it's down a hill, and it's back to the house. And as we'd gotten our way up the hill of stage three, uh, Thor noticed that there was somebody that we had already passed that had decided he liked our pace and was trying to keep pace with us, but was just a bit behind. And the poor dog was so troubled by this that he continued again. Great. Wow. Okay. So Thor continues all the way up the hill and we're going from about 50 meters above sea level up to about 400 meters above sea level. And it's a fairly direct climb up the hill. And Thor keeps on his lead looking back. Well, you can imagine what that does up the side of a mountain. It's distracting. It's pulling me a direction I don't want to go. And it's causing him to continually stumble all the way up the hill. And I've got my headphones in. I'm listening to worship music. I'm just having a great time, but I'm getting frustrated with my dumb dog. And I realize that something's got to change. So after the first couple times of him pulling me, I just say, Thor, it's fine. And I pull on him just a little bit to make him look forward. And then all of a sudden, his gait becomes normal. His pace is equalized with mine. And we go on a good run again for a little bit. But then he gets distracted again. He hears the guy behind us that's trying to catch up, and it's become this stressor to my poor dog. And he'll look back. And when he looks back, we go through the same cycle. But then he hears the voice of his master, Thor, calm down. It's okay. He resumes. He's relaxed. And we move on. In the same way, only on a much greater scale, Don't we often live our lives the same? We look back at all that has gone wrong, all that could go wrong. My poor dog was afraid of a guy that might do something to him that all that poor guy wanted was to get away from the dog because he was afraid of the big dog. But we've created these cycles of fear, of uncertainty, and of anything but peace. And throughout the scriptures, we are told that God invites us to live in peace. And so Jesus makes it so abundantly clear. And I want to put it in a word that might make sense. You've heard the phrase shalom before. And so what this is saying is blessed, oops, we've lost our slide changer. Everything's working really well today. We've heard this said before that shalom is this total well-being of the soul, mind, and body. And so what Jesus is saying here is that blessed are the soul shalom makers. Shalom, life as God originally intended it, is meant to be a well-rounded, holistic 
existence encompassing every act of life, every aspect of life. So let's think about that for just a second. If you look at all the different parts of your life, so you've got relationships over here, you've got family over here, you've got food over here because that's important too. You've got your home where you live, your family back in another country maybe. You've got all these different things. Don't forget work, school, stress, all these things. If you think about all of those, let me ask that question I started with again. How has 2018 felt to you as the year has started? Shalom invites us into a place of peace in every aspect of life. And so when Jesus invites us to this beatitude, he's saying, blessed are the shalom makers. But wait a minute, Mike. I thought you just said Jesus is the source of shalom. How can I make peace? Well, if you've been paying attention, you'll understand that Jesus, one, fully acknowledges that, yes, indeed, he is the Prince of Peace. But he's also teaching you a few things. He's teaching you, as Paul tells us, that blessed are the peace... Or no, this is Jesus speaking. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Paul then expands on that a little bit, and he says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone we begin to get the idea of what it means to be a peacemaker. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with a world that is not in harmony with itself. Mike, that's a big ask. That's a heavy question. How in the world am I going to do that? Well, we've got the Beatitudes to teach us an awful lot. This is going to be, I believe, one of the simplest messages you'll ever hear because it's right there in front of us. What we do with it, well, that's a different story. But the model is pretty simple. And so here we go. First, what are the qualifications? How do I even know I can be a peacemaker when the world is fighting everywhere, Mike? How do I know that I can move past my own junk into a life of peace? Well, let me tell you how. Let me explain it really simply. In your sermon notes, you've got these already explained to you. And if you don't have a copy of the sermon notes, you can put up your hand and we would love to give them to you. Or you can just open your Bible because everything I am about to say is literally just what the scriptures have already taught us. Okay? You ready? Peacemakers, number one. They are poor in spirit. Oh, but Mike, isn't that a beatitude? Ding, 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 ding. You're right. You want to learn how to make peace with a world that is not in sync with the kingdom? Well, you live differently. And that starts with being poor in spirit. We recognize and we admit that we are spiritually bankrupt away from Jesus Christ. Okay? That's what poor in spirit means. We admit there's a lack of peace in our hearts and recognize and admits the violence in our own hearts and in this world. We realize that life could be so much more. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus goes on, he says, blessed are those who mourn. Well, what does he mean by that? We've talked about it, but we'll talk about it again. We grieve over the sinful condition of the world and of our own hearts. We weep the tears of God himself who, gro who grieves a humanity that turns its back on him. I love the worship song that uses the line, break my heart for what breaks yours. That is the heart of blessed are those who mourn. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. As I do, 
as I'm broken by the sin or I see around me in the sin of my own heart, when we come into communion, we realize we've been set free from that. And it's a joyful celebration. Communion takes on new depth because we understand that on our own, we are in such poverty. But it goes on. Jesus continues, peacemakers are also meek, not weak, but gentle. Are we known as gentle? Are we known as our strength being under control? Can we risk, resist temptation to take vengeance into our own hands? Or do we want to be vindicated on our own? Instead, the meek peacemaker has thrown themselves on the king of kings and wait for him to mete out the justice. We trust Jesus. Next. And you can guess what comes next as I'm just reading the Beatitudes. Peacemakers also hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, I am fully aware that we at AIC have our morning worship service right before lunch. And you've heard me say this before, but I haven't said it in at least a year, I don't think. I'm fully aware that if I keep speaking past a certain number on that clock in the back, you start looking at me differently. You know why? Because your body has begun to tell you it's lunchtime. Sick fun. And in so doing, you expect me to be done and respect your need for food, right? You won't admit it now, but you know it's there. And now that I've talked about food, that's what you're thinking about. What am I going to have for lunch? What if our hunger for physical food was surpassed by our hunger and thirst for the very righteousness of God? How can we even achieve that? We can't. But because of Jesus Christ, remember, this is all about Jesus. Because of him, because of the cross, and because of the victory that came at the resurrection, victory over sin and death, we are told that we who have believed on Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and walk with him have put on the very righteousness of God. So when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we are claiming that our attitudes have changed. We long to see God's right relatedness realized across the world. We want everybody to know there's a better way to live. We want everyone to be rightly related to God. And we understand that those that aren't are going to make bad decisions with their lives. And we're not going to judge them so harshly that we can't help them out of that pit. Hungering and thirst for righteousness means looking at broken people and saying, we want to help you out. The peacemaker is one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness in our own lives and in the lives of Everyone in our sphere of influence, whether we like them or not. Blessed are the peacemakers that hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they treat other human beings with respect. Peacemakers are also merciful. That should be an easy one, right? Because we like it when people are merciful with us. But as Jesus tells the story, it's very easy for us to demand mercy and then not give any of it away. So Jesus dares us to be merciful. For a peacemaker is merciful. They don't need to give to others what others might rightly deserve. They give to others what they do not deserve. Pardon and kindness. Do you know what that's called? If you've never been to church before and today's your first time, I want to introduce you to a word that will change your life. It's called grace. 
And it is such an amazing word. It's such an amazing word, so much so that our firstborn child carries that as her middle name because she is a very gift from God. And she loves it when I talk about her when I'm up here. And I can't even see her face right now. But here's the thing. Grace. If you want to know what grace means, I love the acronym that Evangelism Explosion teaches us. You ready? You can write this down. It's pure gold. God's riches at Christ's expense. God has given us all of the keys to the kingdom. And it costs us nothing. But it costs Jesus his very physical life. But death could not hold him. Sin could not keep him. Because he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And therefore, knowing that we've been given new life. Remember, we were told just last week that we are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Do we look that way right now? If you're a Christian, do you look like you got new life or are you looking like this? Often we look around like what Charles Swindoll says, we've been baptized in prune juice, or if it's easier for you, lemon juice, right? We look grumpy. We look upset. In Christ, we have been given the grace of new life. Don't we want to give that away? Don't we want to invite others into that freedom? Or are we busy being like my dog, looking back at all the things that could go wrong or have gone wrong, that we can't look forward and listen to the voice of the Father pointing us forward to new hope and to a future that is with him for all eternity. Blessed are the peacemakers who are merciful. They're willing to put themselves in another person's culture, another person's shoes, another person's situation, and they're willing to walk with those people out of it, even when it's tough. And then finally... Peacemakers are pure in heart. But Mike, if you knew what I fought with in my mind and in my heart, I could never say this. Well, the great thing about these, this to-do list that we're given, we can't do any of these things on our own. Remember, keep keep coming back to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Only through the peace of God can we mourn over our sin. Otherwise, we just think, yeah, I'm a good person. That's good enough. No, it's not. Sin has consequences. In the same way, the peacemaker that is pure in heart understands that we want no sin in the world. They understand full well that, yes, we do sin. But each day, they long to be closer to Jesus Christ and more like him. They would abhor lies and deceit, hypocrisy and fakeness and deception and manipulation. They see it in their own hearts They claim the promises of create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. But before that, they're also not afraid to ask God and even those in their accountability groups to say, hey, search my heart. I'm going to be open. I'm going to invite people into my life to check on me, to ensure that my motives are pure. Because a peacemaker that's pure in heart recognizes our own lust for power, our own desire to control. I need to control all these things. And they give it over to the Lord. And they say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Because more than anything, I've lost my 
More than anything, a peacemaker seeks the face of God in all things. Peacemakers are living out the Beatitudes. And so Jesus, as he finishes his sermon on these beautiful attitudes, is telling us, hey, as these things come up, you're going to realize that I'm preaching peace to you, to those who are far away and those who are near. And I am inviting you into a life of peace, a life that will turn you into a person that is poor in spirit, that mourns sin, that is meek, that is merciful, that hungers and thirsts for the right things, that is pure in heart. And as that happens, you begin to live differently in a broken world and the world sees that in you and says, that's not possible on their own. Something's different. You ever see that in somebody? When you realize they're not what you would expect, there's so much more, and it just blows you away. Well, that is a life of shalom. When you are in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are living a different life. You are focused on the right things, and you are walking in step, in sync with kingdom living. So how do we do it, Mike? I get that, okay, the the Beatitudes build us up to this point, and remember all these things, they're not meant to be one-off. Oh, I'm going to be merciful, and oh, I'm going to be hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and I'm going to mourn. No, no, no. All of us should long for all of these things and be growing in them as the Holy Spirit works in us. But it goes on. Jesus doesn't just stop and say, be a peacemaker, Okay? Here's the posture of your heart. Here's the qualification. You who are these things, you'll be a maker of peace. You'll be a shalom bringer upon the world. And remember, when Jesus was saying this, this would have been a mighty and powerful statement to a Roman-occupied culture because Jesus is proclaiming what he would refer to in others around him, the good news, the gospel. But here's the thing. Gospel wasn't a term back then that was isolated just for Christians, okay? Whenever a new Roman emperor, Roman ruler of an area would give his welcoming speech, his induction speech, it would be called basically the Evangelion, the good news, that he is now a godlike figure and he's going to bring new hope to this people. And Jesus walks in and says, I'm the Prince of Peace. I'm the true good news. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And oh, by the way, Roman emperors, Roman Caesars, all you, it's not you. This was revolutionary. And Jesus is saying, blessed are those that follow my example and make peace. But Mike, I don't know how to do that. My own soul is tortured and in conflict. How can I help others make peace? Well, first off, before we even get to your sermon notes, I want to make sure you understand that the first thing is remember in Jesus talking and teaching on contentment and on money and materialism, he says at the end of that sentence, and we're going to come to that in a few weeks, he says, but seek you first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness. So, first lesson in peacemaking, seek Jesus first. If he's not our focus, we've missed out. What do I mean by him being our focus? Well, 
I, I had a horrible revelation brought to me early this week, and it, it just wrecked me. Because many of you know that I've had certain health issues over the years, but when it's come to my physical overall health, I've been pretty good. Yes, I break a lot of bones and I've got some issues. But when it's come to things like cholesterol and cardiovascular health, I have been supremely healthy my whole life. My cholesterol has been so low, people want to study me. It's so healthy and it's been so good. Well, then, earlier in this new year, I had a blood test taken And for the first time in my life, my cholesterol was high. (laughs) Unless you think it was really high, no, it was just high for me. It was normal for humanity, but I'm not normal. And I want that cholesterol to be nice and low. Not to mention the fact that my dad's had two heart surgeries, three heart surgeries in the past year, uh, and that I'm afraid I'm going to turn out like him. But (laughs) poor Melissa, my wife, looks at me and she said, This really bothers you, doesn't it? I'm like, Yeah. I've never had like real health issues, just the stomach stuff. And so what did I do? I realized, okay, one, maybe bacon and eggs for breakfast every morning should change. And I should do some other things. And then I realized that I'm not as flexible and active as I used to be. And my core isn't as strong as it should be. My cardio isn't in time. So I began to change on that note how I would go through life. And I began to look for ways to do that. And I found this 21-day shred that you got to work out for a few minutes every day and you're going to be a whole new man. And I've tried it. And the first thing they do, and I want to demonstrate this, one, because I want you to understand how silly I look, that you can laugh at me. And two, it, it's, it's connected to yoga, but it's not with all the extra stuff. But they want me to learn to just kind of sit like this and do this like for a long time. But what they don't realize is that I have attention deficit disorder. So I can't do this for very long because I get bored. But what I realized was like after 10 seconds, like, oh, it hurts. And I'm supposed to do this for minutes, like five, 10 minutes. Why? Because my core needs to be solid. My foundation needs to be secure. Before I can go through and do all the other exercises that are going to make me look ripped, I have to be solid in my core. Before you can walk out into the world and make peace with those that want no peace, Your core has to be secure on Jesus Christ. Blessed are those who make peace knowing that Jesus is the rock of their salvation. So then how do you do it? Well, you got to love Jesus. He doesn't want us to be confused at how this might look. And so what does he do? He continues the sermon or sermons on the mount that looks like these are likely a series of talks. And so, as he's inviting us into right relationship one with another, uh, we're told a few things. One, Paul teaches us that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. In the NIV now, it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. That's that strong core. Think like Jesus did. And if we think like Jesus did and we obey his teaching, if we love Jesus, we will obey his teaching. He's going to teach us that later on as well. A few things are going to happen. And I'm going to move through these very quickly because they're simple. But again, peacemakers understand that making peace at its core is simple. Living it out takes great commitment. You ready? Here we go. Number one, Matthew 5, 11, and 12 says this. It says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil about you because of me. 
A peacemaker will be misunderstood. I dare you to be misunderstood. Just because the world says there's this way to do it, if you know God is leading you this way, stand up and fight for peace. That sounds like it's a paradox. Yeah, it is. But it's the right one. Jesus brings a sword when a sword is necessary to draw people into sync with the kingdom of peace, of shalom, of right relationship with God. If we need to speak truth and stand up for the oppressed, we will do it, even if others misunderstand us because we're fighting for others rather than ourselves. We will be misunderstood. Do you understand? Okay, number one. Number two, we're going to move down to verses 23 and 24. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Wait, 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 wait. It's not you have something against your brother or sister and they have wronged you, is it? If they have something against you, you chase them down. Oh, but Mike, that stinks. That's hard. Yup. That's why it's different. Remember, a peacemaker is different. A peacemaker pursues reconciliation. Why? Have you met Jesus? What did he do for you? God became man and made his dwelling among us, taking on the very nature of a servant. Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but showed the world what the Prince of Peace looks like, and it's a servant. Therefore, we pursue reconciliation. We pursue helping others into right relationship with us. One of the hardest conversations I've ever had was a, a, a quite a number of years ago. I knew someone had been saying some pretty nasty things about me. Not here. So don't try to figure out who it was because you don't know them. But I knew that these things were being said about me. And I knew that I could get up and give some sweeping declaration that it wasn't true or this and that. And then I, in my devotions, I came to this passage. And I was just convicted right to the heart. And so I, I asked that, that person, I said, can we go for a walk and have a chat? And I looked him dead in the eye and I said, I've heard that these things are being said about me. Is there anything you'd like to say or are there things I've done that have hurt you or offended you? And you know what? The conversation didn't go the way I'd wanted it to. There was some denial. There were some things. But at the end of it, I knew I had pursued right relationship. And years later, I now know that I can still have a right relationship with that person. I still don't know what caused it, but I know that I pursued reconciliation. Will we do that? We're not being doormats. We're not just saying, oh, I was definitely wrong. No, no, no. We're pursuing right relationship, first with God and then with each other. Next, we're going to deal with things. Uh Uh-oh. You ready for this? Directly and quickly. Well, Mike, why do you say quickly? That's not fair. I need time to process. Okay, great. Yeah, take a little bit of time to process. I understand that. But I also believe the word of God to be true. And so when Jesus tells me in verse 25 to settle matters quickly, I kind of feel like we're supposed to settle matters quickly. Because what happens when we hang on to stuff? Is it good for us? Does it ever help us to hang on to wounds and pains and broken relationships? Has that ever proven to be beneficial? Now, I don't want to make light of wounds and pain and broken relationships and say that just one day you can flip the switch and they're all better. No. 
It doesn't work like that. What I am inviting you as a peacemaker is into a realm of the world where you are doing everything in your power to live at peace one with another. You cannot control another's response to you. But you can do everything in your power to keep the line of communication open with our God and Father through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit and with those around you. That's why Jesus says go chase those that might have something against you. Make sure that our accounts are clear. We can't control how others respond. And sometimes that will hurt us and we'll have to walk with that. But it doesn't have to define us. We don't have to live in that pain. We don't have to keep looking back. We look forward toward the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus keeps going, though, because he knows that might, we might get that far, but it might get harder after that. So in verse 30, he continues on, and he invites us into the idea. Of, it starts with adultery, and in a lot of your Bibles, it'll have that section before. But he's talking about so much more than that. He's talking about roots of sin, agents of sin in our life. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. What? Mike, I don't get that. I don't want to cut my hand off. Neither do I. I'm left-handed, but I still like my right hand an awful lot. So what does Jesus mean? Well, for the sake of time, let's keep it simple. Jesus invites us to be men and women of consistency, of another word for that would be integrity. Are our inner lives, our work lives, our home lives, all of our lives the same? Are we men and women of character? And when something is tempting us to sin, we run away from it. Think Joseph. When his boss's wife chased after him, what did Joseph do? Ran out so fast all the wife could catch on to was his robe. He booked it out of there. May our lives be consistent inside and outside. You want to make peace? Well, when you dive into making peace and when you try to bring people together that don't want to be brought together, they're going to make you a target. And if you're not living consistency as men and women of character by the power of the Holy Spirit, they will find ways to knock you down with them. And if so, acknowledge it, confess it, and move forward. But by all accounts, do everything in your power to leave it at the foot of the cross and say, I've been forgiven and set free. And I will move forward. Can you come with me? Will you come with me? A peacemaker is consistent. A peacemaker in verse 37 keeps their promises. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, yeah, we forget sometimes. I get that. If you've been a parent, you, your kids no doubt have told you, Mom, Dad, you've promised. Well, acknowledge that, apologize, and move on. But in the same way, measure your words carefully. And do everything in your power to keep your promises. Why? Because that would be different than the world. We live in an era where politics all over the world say, well, the last person did this, but we're going to do this. We don't want to look like that. Because this is consistent and true. Always has been, always will be. And it's the right way to go through the person of Jesus Christ. And then it gets really exciting. Verse 42. You ready for this? Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. What's that mean? Give unfairly. 
take a risk on people that don't deserve it. Again, this grace idea. What if I don't get my investment back? Well, are you investing in money or time or this, or are you investing in eternity? Because there's always a return on an eternal investment. You'll never regret investing in a person that needs you and needs to see Christ in us, the hope of glory. Give unfairly. When they don't deserve it, give more. When they've wounded you, chase them down all the more. Invite them back to Jesus. Give unfairly and be faithfully and joyfully generous. 6.3 says that um, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees what you've done in secret will reward you. Again, if God knows our hearts and we're seeking peace, our generosity is not to be shown out for the world. We want to make a difference in the world. We don't want to make it about us. We want to make it about Jesus. And so we point people to him. I've been around church my whole life, and I unashamedly say that AIC is one of the most generous churches I've ever been a part of. And some of you are used in so many ways by God, not just financially, but of your time, of your intellectual resources, of your creative resources, of your investment on the worship team or with our children or with our adults or the list goes on and on. We are a heavily resourced church. That's a good thing because you're supposed to be, because you're here. And God has called you to use your gifts and your resources to be poured out for him. Because the eternal investment is so great. And then finally, you might have heard this one before. It's, kind of, it's called golden. The golden rule. Matthew 7, verse 12. Anybody know it? Thou shalt keep a clean house. God, what's the saying? No, it's not having anything to do with God. She loves a cheerful giver. That is true. But the golden rule says this. I'm waiting. Nobody's saying it out loud. Treat others as you want to be treated. That's the Mike Rose version. Or, or treat others as you would want to be treated yourself. However you say it. Do we do it? Or do we hold everyone else up to this standard and ourselves down here? How are we treating others? You see, the church should be a refuge for the sinner to come in and know that they will be loved. The church must be a refuge and a haven of hope for all of us as we walk together and we point people to Jesus Christ. Why? Because in so doing, we show the world a life of shalom. We show the world a way that says there's hope and peace when everything else is confusing, when everything else is going a million miles an hour or kilometers, there is peace in this world. And that is through Jesus Christ. So what do we do? Well, it's pretty simple. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Does that mean my salvation is tied up to how good I am at making peace? No, peace has already been made for you. But as a loving child of God, your right response is to pursue peace for all around you. To bring others into that. Out of love for Christ, you will make peace. It's that simple. 
blessed, fulfilled are the peacemakers. And the world will look at you and say, yeah, they're children of God. They look different. My prayer for AIC as you move forward, as we walk together wherever the Lord leads us in the days to come, is that we would be a church where everyone that walks in here can feel the spirit of peace upon them. That as you go out, you remember well the words of Ernest Southcott, that the holiest moment of the church service is the moment when God's people go out of the church door into the world to be the church. Go make peace today. I'm going to invite Justin and the worship team to come close us in song as we go out.